Experts claim there is nothing tougher than a diamond. But at Diamonds Direct, we beg to differ. Have you ever met a mother? Strong, radiant, timeless. This Mother's Day, give her the gift that meets her match. With diamond jewelry starting at $200, plus Diamonds Direct's exceptional quality and unbeatable everyday price, you're sure to give her a gift that wows this generation and the next to come. Experience the thrill of jewelry shopping done right at Diamonds Direct. Diamonds Direct. Your love, our passion. Live Nation presents Concert Week. From now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 summer shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirks Bentley, Janet Jackson, Megan Trainer, Peso Pluma, Sean Paul, Sum 41, and many more. For way less. Grab your tickets now through May 14th to see all of the artists you love all summer long. For just $25. $25 each. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert to buy now. That's LiveNation.com slash Concert to buy now. Hey, this is Christina Quinn. I'm the host of Try This, the Washington Post's new series of audio courses. The idea behind Try This is to become better functioning humans without having to comb the internet for countless hours. In our first course, we learned how to sleep better. Now, we're going to learn how to make our friendships stronger. I'll offer expert tips that are doable, and I'll keep it short. So let's do this. Glasses in session. Find Try This from The Washington Post wherever you listen. Dealing with pests can be a pain, but relax. Terminix can help. Because when pests show up, so does Terminix. With over 95 years of experience, they have what it takes to take on any pest problem fast. If your home or business has pests, don't stress it. Terminix it. Visit Terminix.com to book your appointment online today. That's T-E-R-M-I-N-I-X.com. From UFOs to psychic powers and government conspiracies, history is riddled with unexplained events. You can turn back now or learn the stuff they don't want you to know. A production of iHeartRadio. Welcome back to the show. My name is Matt. My name is Noel. They call me Ben. We are joined, as always, with our super producer, Paul Mission Control Deccans. Most importantly, you are you, you are here, and that makes this stuff they don't want you to know. Interestingly enough, uh, many of our fellow listeners have written into us on a regular basis over the years asking us to cover more things about UFOs, whether that's just unexplained aerial phenomena, whether that's, uh, you know, uh, allegations of visitations by extraterrestrial or even extra dimensional entities. Uh, and we've we've taken a swing at a lot of it. But today we're bringing out the big guns. In fact, you could say today's episode concerns the most important UFO story in American history. It's a strange, twisting tale. It begins all the way back in 1961, but it's a story that has ramifications which continue to influence the world of UFO research here in the modern day. That's right. And today we are not going to tackle this alone. We have brought along and are joined by a journalist and author. His name is Toby Ball. He is the host of the new show Strange Arrivals. That is executive produced by Aaron Mankey, by the way. It's a new show on our network that delves deep into the Betty and Barney Hill story. Thanks for coming on the show, Toby. Thanks for having me on. Now, Toby, before we begin today's show, uh, we would be remiss if we didn't mention the fact that you are, in addition to being an author and a journalist, you are also a podcaster in the world of crime. Is that correct? Uh, that's right. For about five and a half years, I've been one of the four uh, co-hosts of Crime Writers On!, and every week we review a couple of true crime properties, occasionally um, Fictional crime as well, if that happens to be hot at the moment. So podcasts, you know, HBO series, documentaries, things like that. And I would just say that uh, they're very honest in their reviews. They've, <laughs> they've done several that I know Nolan and I have made. And uh, Ben, you might have one coming down the pike soon too. They're really honest. And it is a, it's a great show 
if you want to get an objective take. Dare we say brutally honest. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Sometimes. Sometimes. I think Noel and I have both felt that before. We've felt but, the but, wrath. <laughs> but, I mean, you know, it's <laughs> worth a listen. Noel, did you, did you work on... Um, uh, the Oregon murders. I did. I did. Yeah. Yeah. I think I re- you were the one that you were the one that dug it, but everybody else hated it. Apparently, <laughs> I actually I couldn't even bring myself to listen to it. But oh, well, yeah? you and I spoke a little bit, and I know that you uh, you stood up for it, and I really appreciate that. Yeah, I, I, I did. I actually did really like that one. Um, awesome. But that's not what we're talking about today. No, no. it's not. And I, I want to be the first to say I really like uh, Strange Arrivals, which is what we are here to talk about. It's such a lushly sound designed and soundscaped storytelling kind of bordering on true crime. It feels like a mystery, kind of. There's this wonderful atmosphere to it. Your narration is super solid. The writing's great. All the archival stuff really enriches the experience. And I, you know, kudos for, for the first episode. I can't wait to hear more. New episodes are out every Tuesday. As we record this, we should note. Toby, Strange Arrivals, uh, it addresses, uh, as you had mentioned, Matt, it addresses the story of Betty and Barney Hill. Now, a lot of people in our audience today know sort of the, uh, the broad strokes of some aspects of the tale, or they've at least heard the name, right? The 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 Hill case mentioned. Uh, but we were hoping we could begin today with a little bit closer look at the overall lay of the land. Uh, in this show, we always like to start with the facts. So for the here are the facts portion of our show, could you give us maybe just a, a broad outline of, of what the story is? Uh, it starts on September 19th, 1961, right? Yes. So what the base, the sort of bones of the story are uh, Betty and Barney Hill were a uh, mixed race couple from Portsmouth, New Hampshire, professionals in their community, uh, leaders in the civil rights uh, movement in in our area of New Hampshire. This I, I live in Southeast New Hampshire as well. Uh, so they went on a vacation. Uh, they went to Niagara Falls. They went up to Toronto. Um, and they were going to go and spend a final night, uh, the night of September 19th, 1961, in Montreal. And for some reason, uh, and there's been a number of reasons given as to why this was, uh, they didn't spend the night there. Instead, well into the evening, they decided to drive all the way back to Portsmouth, New Hampshire, which was probably about a seven-hour drive at that time. So they started heading south. They crossed the border. They stopped at a... Um, a diner to grab something to eat. Uh, as they were leaving the diner, they noticed that it was about a little bit after 10 o'clock at night, and they continued to head south. And they started to notice they saw uh, a light in the sky that seemed a little brighter than others. And uh, and Betty in particular uh, sort of fixated on that. They stopped a couple times. It seemed as though it was following them. And then they stopped one time just north uh, of a a place in the mountains called Franconia Notch. They got out, they looked through binoculars, couldn't quite figure out what it was, but it it definitely seemed odd. It wasn't another star. Uh, They thought maybe it was a plane, um, but weren't weren't quite sure what to think. Got back in the car, they started to head down through Franconia Notch, which is uh, this area that cuts between uh, these two sort of sets of mountains. Um, it's very, very steep on either side. It feels, it feels pretty um, claustrophobic. They pulled up to a place called the Old Man in the Mountain, which uh, is no longer there. It actually uh, crashed to the ground in 2003, I think. But it used to be this, this sort of natural rock formation that looked like an old man. And they saw an actual craft at this point with, with lights. And it was hovering, and it wasn't making any noise. And... So they looked at it, and then it it left again. And they could, they got back into their car, and the you know the hearts are pounding. They keep driving south through Franconia Notch, stopping every once in a while to to see if they can see it. And they get a little bit further south uh, near a tourist area called Indian Head, which is another sort of natural rock formation that looks a tiny bit, I guess, like an Indian Head. And then. You know, they feel this thing whoosh over their car. They they stop their car in the middle of the highway. I mean, this is at night in very rural New Hampshire, so, so there's almost no traffic. There's no ambient light. And they see a craft hovering above a field. 
Barney gets out. Uh, he approaches the craft with binoculars and sees beings looking back at him. He panics, runs back to the car. They they take off down the highway. Uh, there's a sense that the, the UFO is following them. It's like sort of uh, hovering above them as they move. Uh, they feel this, hear this buzzing noise and feel like a little bit of a tinge in their bodies. And then about 30 miles further down the road, they kind of come to, you know, they haven't said anything. They're not really clear of time passing, uh, but suddenly they're down by uh, this town, Ashland, New Hampshire, and they wonder what happened. And so they've had this strange experience and they, they drive home basically straight from there. They, they make a quick stop trying to get some coffee, but they end up arriving home uh, two or three hours later than they're expecting to arrive home. They get there, they unpack their car, they, they notice a few interesting things. Uh, Betty's dress is torn, Barney's shoes are scuffed, their uh, watches have stopped at identical times, and they, they call Betty's sister's neighbor was a physicist, and they, for whatever reason, uh, Betty thinks that maybe he'll have some insight into this. He suggests they go and they put a compass over uh, their car to see if there's any strange magnetism. Uh, they apparently do this over the trunk where these bl- bright spots and the compass starts spinning wildly. So there's all these little pieces of, of what they consider to be evidence that something strange had happened uh, during that time. And then about 10 days later, Betty has this series of very, very intense nightmares about being brought aboard uh, an alien spacecraft and having sort of a medical examination done to her on the spacecraft by aliens and is is very disturbed by this. Uh, She tells this story uh, to a variety of people, including her supervisor, she apparently, I guess, used to have tea with her supervisor and her sister, and she she tells them about these nightmares she's having, and her supervisor, uh, for whatever reason, uh, says, you know, maybe, you know, maybe they're not just nightmares. Maybe you're actually remembering something that actually happened. Really, really quickly. So this is so. I mean, this is you're you're going through like all of these things that have happened. And so far through all of this, except with the exception of a few extra people there, these are the personal experiences of two people and the stories that we're getting from two points of view, right? The the only two people that we are to believe right now currently are Betty and Barney about what's happened besides the neighbor and, you know, the supervisor, right? Right. So there, there wasn't any other sort of corroborating witness to see anything that night. They did, you know, they, they pretty immediately started telling people about what they had seen, you know? So it's not, this isn't something where two years later, there's like, oh, by the way, you know, two years ago, we saw this thing. They, um, they get in touch with a UFO investigation group called NICAP, which was pretty big at the time. Um, and they send an astronomer to come and interview them. Um, and he writes up a report. But at the time, it really is... The, the extent of it is seeing this light in the sky and then having this very, very intense uh, experience in this field uh, by the Indian Head Resort and then heading home. And that's kind of what they remember uh, sort of consciously throughout the whole thing. And, they you know, they draw a picture of what they saw. Betty writes down a narrative of her dreams NICAP, by the way, for anyone who's interested, was a thing called the National Investigations Committee on Aerial Phenomena, and it was active uh, roughly 1950s to the 1980s. So this was a real this was a real primetime heyday for the organization. I guess we would sum up then for our our look at these unusual instances. So so Betty and Barney see this anomalous thing. Uh, they also, uh, when they they kind of come to out of a fugue state, they've lost time. Would it be fair to say that from their account, they have lost time? Yeah, they absolutely think that. I, I think sort of the the unusual nature of the whole experience makes the lost time part of it seem not as, like that seems to kind of fall back as compared to 
seeing, uh, you know, a spacecraft in the middle of a field. But as time kind of goes on, um, and especially after she has those dreams, that is something they're like, huh, you know, that is kind of weird that it took an extra two hours to get home. What, what went on there? I'd, I'd like to maybe bracket this just for a second, because what, what you've just outlined uh, succinctly and, and, and very well is the, is the order of events in which they occur that we, that we know for sure per Betty and Barney. Uh, for many people, this would probably remain the most inexplicable, strangest experience of their adult lives. Uh, but this is just sort of the beginning of the tale and one thing I like, without spoiling Strange Arrivals, one thing I I was um, surprised to find and fascinated by was uh, there's a segment early on in the podcast where you talk a bit about your own personal experience. I think it's at the very beginning of the very first episode. Uh, could you... Could you tell us a little bit, just so we have something to compare with Betty and Barney, could you tell us a little bit about your experience and what you see as differences or commonalities and, and maybe whether that inspired you uh, to pursue this show? Yeah, so um, Strange Arrivals actually, it starts with me talking about uh, an experience, an experience is, is maybe putting it too strongly, Uh but uh, I was having – so my family's got a place up on an island in a, a lake in New Hampshire called Lake Winnipesaukee, uh, which is, you know, it's about an hour and a half, two hours from where Betty and Barney had their experience. And it was right around dusk, and we were having uh, dinner and drinks with uh, a couple who are old friends of ours, my wife and I. And uh, my wife saw these red lights – sort of hovering above, you know, sort of the hills that you can see uh, from the porch of our house. You know, it, it was just strange. You know, I've been going up there for 50 years, and I hadn't seen anything quite like that before. And it was enough that we we walked down from the porch and we walked onto our dock to get a better look. And, you know, the number of lights, I, I believe it started with four and probably got up to about seven red lights. And they were kind of moving around. And it wasn't clear, you know, there there was some distance away. There was no noise. And it wasn't clear if there were individual things that were moving or whether it was a larger thing that was kind of, you know, moving in its aspect to us so that we were getting a different view of what it was. I mean, that was sort of the illusion that we had. And I just, I just, uh, I checked, my wife was checking, she wrote some notes about this afterwards. Uh, and we watched it for 20 minutes, you know, so it was a good long time that we were watching this, you know, and it, it never got to be more than just lights. You know, we never saw like an outline of anything or none of the lights seemed to have, uh, you know, more to them. So what's, what's kind of interesting is, you know, while we're watching this, my buddy and I, are like, huh, I wonder what that is. And my wife and, and my buddy's wife were like, oh, yeah, that's definitely, that's, those are, that's an alien spacecraft, like no doubt about it. And then, you know, if you talk to us now, like my buddy and I are, the way we remember it ending is the lights just kind of blinked out one by one. Like they just kind of disappeared. And uh, my wife and, and, uh, and my buddy's wife are both say that they took off at high speeds. You know, they just kind of took off and disappeared, but there was movement involved. It wasn't just blinking out. So this has been a source of, of some, uh, some dispute at various times after a few libations. Um, and so that was kind of, it was an interesting question to me. It's like, why did half of us, believe right off the bat. It's like, wow, that must be something extraterrestrial. And then half of us were like, it could be just about anything, have no clue what it is, but it's definitely not that. Um, and that was kind of what got me thinking about these kinds of questions in general. Like, why are some people uh, skeptical about these things? Why are other people more prone to believe these things when you're looking at exactly the same thing, right? The evidence that we had was identical. And then based on that that first instinct, our memories of what happened are, are, are very different. 
It's really fascinating. The whole idea of like the fallibility of memory, I think, is a really interesting spin on this, and especially when it was sort of split between the believers and the non-believers as to how you actually visually, you know, interpreted this information, like, and then took that and created like, oh, this is this is this is this phenomenon. I absolutely believe it. It's not such a leap to think that. It's just really interesting to me that. And so, what? Where did you guys land on that? Like, when you like, what do these debates sound like over a few drinks? <laughs> like, how, how do you make your case? <laughs> Was it just, okay, I'm going to make this podcast. Yeah, well, you know, it's, uh, you know, nobody budges, basically. You know, people dig in their heels and we have another beer and we dig in our heels even further. And uh, there really hasn't been any kind of movement towards the center from anybody. I mean, you just, the memory's the memory. Um, and And that's kind of what made it compelling to me. Um, and when I was talking to uh, my friend about this podcast, he had the same same feeling. It's like it, it is it is super strange that we all, you know, at this point, it's what like six years ago. It's not that long, um, but our memories of it are just are so different, and there's just no give to anybody. Everybody's very clear about what they remember. So I was trying to figure out a way of like, how do you approach like examining this? Um, and that was when I kind of latched on to the Betty and Barney Hill case, uh, partly because I live um, in the same town as the University of New Hampshire and they've got the Betty and Barney Hill papers and um, a lot of other kinds of uh, documents, uh, audio documents, video documents, uh, photographs, so it seemed like it seemed like kind of a natural uh, as a way of taking a look at it because it, it does bring up a lot of the same issues about you know perception and memory and, and how how do you approach how do you approach making sense of things that that you experience that don't have an obvious explanation. And we'll be back with our discussion with Toby Ball after a word from our sponsor. Live Nation presents Concert Week. From now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 summer shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirks Bentley, Janet Jackson, Megan Trainer, Peso Pluma, Sean Paul, Sum 41, and many more. For way less. Grab your tickets now through May 14th to see all of the artists you love all summer long. For just $25. $25 each. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert Week to buy now. That's LiveNation.com slash Concert Week to buy now. Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, Snag a Job is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs. On demand, tempt to hire part-time or full-time. You name the position warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, Snagajob's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. The 2024 presidential campaign features two candidates who are very well known to Americans. And yet, there's complexity at every turn. Criminal trials for one of those candidates. Young voters who are angry. The Campaign Moment podcast from The Washington Post gives you what matters. I'm Aaron Blake, and I'm covering my 10th election cycle. My colleagues and I have insights that you won't find anywhere else. So follow the campaign moment right now, wherever you're listening. This episode is brought to you by Terminix. Terminix can't help you solve the world's biggest mysteries or take on alien life. At least not the ones you're thinking of. But they can help take care of pesky invaders in your home. Like the ants in your kitchen, the roaches under your sink, and the termites in the walls. Because when pests show up, so does Terminix. No matter what type of pest it is, they can Terminix it fast with personalized pest care that puts you in control. 
Their expertly trained technicians may not know true crime, but they know their local pest pressures. And with customized plans tailored to your specific situation, you get everything you need to not just get pests out, but keep them out for good. Between their speedy service, caring technicians, and over 95 years of experience, it's no mystery why they're trusted by homes and businesses everywhere. So if you have a pest problem, don't stress it. Terminix it. Visit Terminix.com to book your appointment online today. That's T-E-R-M-I-N-I-X.com to book online today. Welcome back to the show. Now let's keep going with this conversation. You know, we're, we're talking about belief here. Something Ben has stated on this podcast before. Uh, I'm going to paraphrase, but each of our understandings of the world, it's only the information that we've ever taken in, right? You, we can't know things necessarily that we've never accepted like as, as information into our brains. So each of us has that different perspective of all the information we know and then applying it to what we're observing, right? That's kind of what you're exploring here. But... <laughs> the story really takes a turn at the point where we left off a little while ago there when we're getting into the concept of digging into someone's brain, putting someone back into a fugue-like state and digging through their brain to pull out new information that hasn't been stated as a memory, right? Yeah, that's that's what I wanted to ask you specifically, Toby. Um, Do you think that, uh, say, hypnotic regression might help solve this long-standing disagreement about what you saw? <laughs> uh, I would, it would be interesting to find out. I, uh, my sense is having uh, talked to a lot of people about hypnotic regression at this point is that we would pro- probably all tell the exact same stories. <laughs> you know, <laughs> yeah. it's, your, your recall through hypnotic regression is, 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 make, is made with the same sort of fallible things that you're conscious memory is made of, you know, when you're, when you're thinking about things. So it's, it's taking the same basic elements, uh, but just in sort of a different state of consciousness to uh, recreate them. And I didn't want to, uh, I apologize if I'm derailing the conversation here, guys, but I do mean it as, let's say, um, 60% joking with you and 40%, well, what if? Because that's uh, that's exactly what you're setting up, Matt, right? Like the the idea that the hills eventually, um, and I think we, we have a little bit of a, of a time gap there, but eventually uh, power, uh, inspired in part by Betty's dream journal and inspired, of course, by these unusual events, they, they also uh, turn to hypnosis, right? Is it hypnotic regression specifically or just – I'm not a hypnotist. I don't know the difference. Right. So Barney had already had um, some anxiety issues, and uh, I, I believe was already seeing a therapist, but uh, regardless of whether he was before or not, he does end up seeing a therapist, but they're not really talking about alien stuff. They're talking about other issues in his life. But he does bring up this this thing that happened, um, and his therapist recommends that he go down and see uh, a psychiatrist who uses hypnosis, whose name is Dr. Benjamin Simon who's very well known for working with uh, returning soldiers who had PTSD. It wasn't known as PTSD at the time, but, but that's what it was. So they go down there and, and they do regression hypnosis. So what he does is he says, you know, cast yourself back to this date. Tell me what happened. And so they, they start to, to go through this story and he, he starts them off in, in Montreal and, and going on the different steps of the journey. But what they what they find is that after this buzzing noise that I talked about, after they have this uh, sort of intense experience uh, with the UFO in the field, they both tell sort of versions from their own uh, viewpoints of this same story of they're driving down uh, the, the highways Route 3. They take a turn off for some reason. They don't really know why. They take another turn onto a dirt road where they're stopped by six figures in the road and they see this glowing light behind them. And 
you know, they're they're not quite clear what's going on, but Barney turns off the car and then can't turn it back on again. And the the figures break into two groups, come and take them from their car and bring them on to a uh, bring them through the woods and onto a spacecraft. Yeah. Yeah, they they get on a spacecraft. And don't the don't the people talk to them while they're being pulled out like yeah. It's it's interesting in that so one of the things that comes out of all this is Betty has this very detailed uh story about this whole thing. Barney has a much less detailed story and, and they both sort of agree that, that he was sort of put under the alien control and then he had his eyes closed and was, and was very scared. She, on the other hand, um, you know, ends up talking to them. Um, and there was one who speaks English with an English accent, she says, sort of a foreign English accent. And he's sort of trying to reassure her that it's going to be fine. We're just going to take you aboard the spaceship you don't have to worry, and then we'll bring you back, and no harm will come of you. And, you know, she's wary, as I think anybody would be, about being brought onto an alien spacecraft. Uh, but they do. They bring them aboard, and they separate them into uh, different rooms. And uh, they undergo, you know, medical uh, medical examinations at the hands of a alien who they call the physician, um, and he doesn't speak English either. There's there's the leader who speaks English, the physician who does the medical exams, and then there's a whole bunch of you know six or seven sort of out of crew members or whatever uh, who speak amongst each other, but not in English or any language that you know uh, a, a human would understand. Now you mentioned you know the divide that is obviously even in, in listeners to the show and even between the three of us between you know belief and skepticism um, and you know some people can kind of uh, their grades of that obviously and you can change over over the course of your life. Have you found that this research and and looking into the story and going deeper uh, has changed you a little bit uh, in terms of your belief or or made you more skeptical? Um, that that's a really interesting question. I, I feel as though. I've become more skeptical of my own memories of things that seem that seem real. Um, and I'll I can kind of give you a quick example. I my my sister has a story uh, up at that same uh, island place where when she was young, you know, three or four, opening uh, the door from our kitchen to the outside and seeing a raccoon hanging from a screen and freaking out and then having nobody believe her. And I have this absolutely crystal clear memory of being in the kitchen when that happened and her opening the door and looking and seeing her back and then seeing the raccoon hanging from the screen. But it seems that that almost certainly did not happen. It seems that she told me that story and I, you know, I was able to picture it in my head so clearly that now it seems like this absolutely concrete memory that, oh yeah, I was there when my sister opened the door and saw the raccoon. But based on her memory of it, like we both can't be right. And I'm pretty sure she's probably the one who is. And I just imagine that happening so much. Uh, So that's really been, you know, more than I would have expected myself to. I've really taken a look at things that have happened in the past uh, that I feel as though I remember pretty well, but don't necessarily feel consistent with with other pieces of reality um, and then sort of questioning if my memory of that is, is accurate. So that, that's really been, you know, it's been kind of an eye opener, quite honestly. And then when you apply it to the other part of, of my other podcasting stuff, which is about, you know, true crime. And you think about, you know, people going in front of uh, going on trial and having these witnesses with these people's lives in their hands and, just knowing that their memories are probably not as accurate as they think they are is, is uh, it's sobering. We talk about it on the show all the time. Um, and, you know, we've all worked on true crime shows as well. But how eyewitness accounts are typically just 
awful. They're the worst kinds, but they can absolutely convict somebody or if you point somebody out in a lineup. And then we've seen, you know, experiments where people um, don't remember faces or they kind of twist it to fit their own narrative or maybe they really want someone to go down for something and so they convince themselves that that's the guy that did this or whatever. I mean, it's really fascinating the way we're able to almost delude ourselves. Like your raccoon story is a form of that. It's, it's less conscious, but you basically invented a narrative by believing something so much that you created this image in your mind that seemed very, very real, but now you've accepted, okay, I think that was just, it sort of speaks to the power of belief, really, and how we're able to kind of fool ourselves and trick ourselves into thinking that things are are happening or real when they're absolutely not. Yeah, 100%. We'll be back with more from Toby Ball after a word from our sponsor. Live Nation presents Concert Week. From now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 summer shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirks Bentley, Janet Jackson, Megan Trainer, Peso Pluma, Sean Paul, Sum 41, and many more. For way less. Grab your tickets now through May 14th to see all of the artists you love all summer long. For just $25. $25 each. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert Week to buy now. That's LiveNation.com slash Concert Week to buy now. Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, Snag a Job is the all in one solution for hiring high quality employees who can cover all your needs. On demand, tempt to hire part time or full time. You name the position warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, Snagajob's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. Hey, this is Christina Quinn. I'm the host of Try This, the Washington Post's new series of audio courses. The idea behind Try This is to become better functioning humans without having to comb the internet for countless hours. In our first course, we learned how to sleep better. Now, we're going to learn how to make our friendships stronger. I'll offer expert tips that are doable, and I'll keep it short. So let's do this. Classes in session. Find Try This from The Washington Post wherever you listen. This episode is brought to you by Terminix. Terminix can't help you solve the world's biggest mysteries or take on alien life. At least not the ones you're thinking of. But they can help take care of pesky invaders in your home. Like the ants in your kitchen, the roaches under your sink, and the termites in the walls. Because when pests show up, so does Terminix. No matter what type of pest it is, they can Terminix it fast with personalized pest care that puts you in control. Their expertly trained technicians may not know true crime, but they know their local pest pressures. And with customized plans tailored to your specific situation, you get everything you need to not just get pests out, but keep them out for good. Between their speedy service, caring technicians, and over 95 years of experience, it's no mystery why they're trusted by homes and businesses everywhere. So if you have a pest problem, don't stress it. Terminix it. Visit Terminix.com to book your appointment online today. That's T-E-R-M-I-N-I-X.com to book online today. And we're back. So I, I want to follow up with a question here. To me, one thing that's fascinating about the the raccoon story uh, is, Toby, have you ever heard of something called the Mandela effect? Uh, I don't think so. <laughs> so uh, maybe 50 years from now, you and I will look back and think that we both did remember it uh, because <laughs> it's a uh, it's it's this fascinating concept that's very close to what what we're talking about today, um, wherein people can become convinced in a group that something has happened 
and it didn't occur. It's named the Mandela effect because the person who named it, they were in a group of people who were certain that they knew um, Nelson Mandela had or had not died and exactly when that happened. And they were so surprised that this was not the case, at least in their current timeline, that instead of just saying, well, maybe we were wrong about it, they've doubled down and said maybe they're having a memory from a different timeline. The stupidest version of that is that there's a whole contingent of people that believe Shaquille O'Neal played a genie named Shazam in a movie, but it was actually Kazam, I think was the name of the movie, if I'm mistaken, and it wasn't Shaquille O'Neal. No, it was Sinbad, but it was actually Sinbad. Shaquille O'Neal. Anyway, correct me on that one, Ben, but that's my favorite <laughs> example of this. There's another one with the Berenstein Bears versus the Berenstain Bears. So many people believe it's spelled S-T-E-I-N, and in their mind. That's like just that's all it's ever been. It's always been the Berenstein Bears, but it's actually the Berenstain Bears. It's interesting. I was actually tripped up on that one uh, a few <laughs> years too. ago. Somebody pointed that out to me. We did a whole episode on it, and I don't think we've ever had more feedback oh, in seriously? an episode besides maybe the um, what the sleep paralysis episode. Maybe Ben. I think maybe we got. Right, right, Matt. Sleep paralysis. It's interesting because both the Mandela effect. The, what I've always called like the treachery of memory and uh, sleep paralysis, uh, the situation wherein people experience vivid things, often nightmares, uh, or the sensation that they are not in control of their body while they attempt to slumber. Those both could relate in a way, however indirectly, to the case of Barney and Betty Hill. More skeptical people in the audience, for instance, might say that uh, perhaps Betty was experiencing some form of sleep paralysis in her dreams. But what do we... Like, the, Toby, the question about the dreams is fascinating to me because they're a whole other world. What... Did Betty just have like a, a short run of bad dreams or were they recurring dreams? Did they change? What do we know about her dreams? So it's interesting. She actually wrote them down in a document called Dreams or Recall. Uh, so she was already kind of thinking about, you know, is this dreams or is, is this actual memories of something that happened that, that's that been repressed? And so what she said is she, does, she doesn't dream them in sort of chronicle order of uh, chronological order of, of the way they happened. She dreams them sort of out of order, and then she puts them into order in this document. And, and so they, they kind of stitch together, but they don't follow one after the other. They kind of bounce around a little bit. And I don't know, like I haven't come up with anything that goes into any more detail on, on how that all worked. You basically just get you know, this is my compiling these five dreams in a way that sort of makes narrative sense uh, going forward. And so, and so it's this, you know, it's this, I imagine, quite distressing uh, series of dreams, uh, again, about being aboard a spacecraft and, and being under the control of alien visitors and having them, you know, examine you and and really, you know, you're you're sort of powerless in the face of their technology, and they they also seem to have some kind of physical control over you, even if they're not holding on. It's interesting how that scenario always is kind of the trope of alien abductions. Like, I kind of wonder what the first one that was ever reported was. Do you happen to know anything about the history of this scenario of being, you know, probed or examined? Like, it didn't just come out of nowhere, you know? Like, whether even if it's made up, if somebody made it up first. I'm, I'm fascinated by how this is a repeating story we see all the time with these abduction um, remembrances, I guess. So I think that's one of the, the interesting thing about this case is that there really wasn't anything quite like it beforehand. And this sort of sets the narrative going forward, you know? And, and so most abduction cases that follow are, are playing off this to a certain extent. And, and, you know, it's like anything else where it escalates and escalates and escalates. And then you end up in the eighties and nineties with, you know, people being dematerialized through walls and, you know, uh, you know, tens or hundreds of thousands of people being uh, abducted. But before Betty and Barney Hill, there's really only one case that was not well known at the time, and it took place in Brazil. 
And it was this guy named Antonia Villas Boas who was abducted and brought on a UFO. And in sort of a little twist on this, has a uh, a sort of sexual uh, a sexual encounter with a alien, like this small female alien with bright red hair, who you know screams like an animal and rubs her belly and points up to the stars, and he takes it to mean she's going to take their baby back to her home planet, I guess, to raise him or whatever. This hadn't really made it to. Uh, the U.S. unless you were like a real UFO aficionado, so so not Betty and Barney, um, and I think there is a question that that hasn't been answered about why this sort of medical exam, in particular, uh, she talks about having a needle uh, plunged into her navel with the idea that it has something to do with reproduction or pregnancy. Different people have different, I think, hypotheses, and I think you can kind of you know, guess what they are uh, about why they would, why she would be sort of fixated on that in particular. But I don't know. I don't, I mean, nobody's, I I haven't read anything where people are like, this is why these two people in particular would be this concerned about, you know, sexual matters when you're on on board a a spaceship. So it's just a really good question. And I'm not sure what the answer is. There's something deeper I want to get into that and try and tie it back to their work in the civil rights movement and like try and compare or somehow find a way to compare that. But before we do that, we're talking about the, how influential this story was from the, you know, the abduction experience, what actually happens when you're abducted, but also the, the extra supposed extraterrestrials that did the abducting there, the um, descriptions of them changed quite a bit, right? over the, the course of the all the stories from Betty and Barney? Yeah, yeah. Um, so when it first happened, immediately following their sighting uh, on, on September 19th, they describe seeing, you know, basically humans looking back at them, humans who are wearing uh, uniforms, um, who are wearing caps, uh, some of them. And so that's about what you get up until the point where they uh, undergo hypnosis. And then there's a slight change. And part of it is under hypnosis, um, you know, when Barney's describing being in the, in the field and, and looking at these beings, looking back at him, he describes two of these beings. One he describes as looking like an Irishman. Um, and he worked in Boston, and as an African-American, it was very clear that he saw Irish as being sort of agents of uh, racial animosity. Uh, so this is like a stressful image to him. The other one he describes as a Nazi. So again, it's this sort of a, a figure that would cause him anxiety. Um, and he actually talks in radio interviews about how he didn't feel that they were sinister, but that the situation itself was sinister. But the way he describes them, certainly to me, sort of indicates that at some level he thought it was they were sinister. But this changes when they go aboard the UFO. And he he talks about, you know, basically, I you know, what you would think of as a gray or sort of like a proto-gray of like, you know, the slit mouth and the very small nose or almost non-existent nose and, uh, you know, the big eyes. And he even goes, he has this very weird thing about there being a film over the mouth that makes this kind of weird, you know, slurpy kind of noise. Uh, and it's very, you know, it, it, <laughs> it would be an alarming thing to open your eyes up to. Betty, on the other hand, in her dreams, talks about them as little guys with big noses, like Jimmy Durante. And... Uh, <laughs> People kind of say, well, she heard what Barney's description was and kind of changes her story a little bit to fit his. Uh, not to mention the fact that, you know, people's reaction is is, is that. It's like, oh, like Jimmy Durante? And you chuckle. Like, aliens yeah. look like Jimmy Durante? How's that happen? So they come out of this do, doing all this uh, hypnosis with this basic idea of sort of what the aliens look like. And it's sort of on the way to being what we think of now as a typical alien. And they spend some time trying to refine this and they, they end up working 
with a New Hampshire artist named David Baker in the late 60s. And he's sketching drawings of of what Betty and Barney think they look like. And they're getting back to him. They'll like see sketches and they'll get back and they'll they'll say, you know, make these changes. This isn't this is the stuff that was wrong. And then he'll get back with a new um a new sketch. And they actually, you know, if, at the UNH library, University of New Hampshire Library, they've got the copies of those um those sketches. And they're they're really they're they're a little bit spooky, like in all honesty, and they're just kind of hazy and vague enough that they're very evocative of this idea that you're kind of like trying to bring up a memory um, in a way that I thought was really kind of cool and interesting. And the other the other piece that they they try to put together to sort of document their memories of this is this strange little bust called Junior, and it was something that Betty commissioned a woman named Marjorie Fish, uh, who plays a big part in the story in another way, uh, to create. And it's it's like a little bust of uh, a gray, you know, like a primitive uh, version of a gray. And it's about the size of a small human head. I've held it. It's got a little hole in the back from where she knocked it off a pedestal during a, a talk she was giving in Cincinnati. And it's it's just a very very odd thing, but it but it is. I mean, that's that's what she says is the closest representation to what she saw during that experience. And that classic kind of gray alien image that is just so ubiquitous in pop culture now. This is kind of the origin of that. Like uh, this is really where that kind of came into existence. The story. Yeah. So this is the first time I think it's been put forward as being a. Um, you know, an actual alien, like I saw an alien and that's what it looked like. There's been, uh, people have tried to say, where, where did they get this vision? And they point to a, uh, uh, there's an episode of uh, The Outer Limits that uh, ran just a couple weeks before they started hypnosis. And it was called The Bolero Shield. And it's got this alien in it that kind of looks like a gray. It, it I would say as, very loosely. Yeah. I mean, I think you, the only way you can really make it work is if you try and describe it and then somebody hears it and then they draw something that sort of looks a little bit like it, you might come up with a gray, but it's not so close. And then I've actually heard Brian Dunning from Skeptoid had heard from somebody that there was another, uh, a Twilight Zone episode that was about a, a year and a half before that, that was called, um, Hocus Pocus and Frisbee uh, that mm-hmm. has another similar kind of, I mean, this is all, this is stuff from like, you know, the, the early sixties. So the alien is basically a guy in a mask. And I think in Hocus Pocus and Frisbee, he's actually wearing a suit while he's yeah. being an alien. Uh, and it's, it's all, it's kind of ridiculous, but it does have the, the basic idea of big eyes, not much of a nose, just a little slit for a mouth. So, for what it's worth. Another fascinating detail that ends up coming out of the the hypnosis sessions and the memories then that are kind of brought back uh, from the time that Betty, I think it is particularly Betty, when she, the time that she supposedly spent on this spacecraft, um, was that she saw some kind of dotted lights or lines of light, which she interpreted to be, I believe, a star map. Is that correct? Yeah. So while she's, after she gets her exam, uh, she apparently gets quite comfortable uh, and starts having a conversation with this alien she calls the leader. And she asks him, you know, where did, where did you come from? And his response is to sort of pull out this, what they call a star map. Um, and apparently it was in some ways a 3D type thing. Um, regardless, he, he pulls it out and she says, well, which one is is yours? And he says, well, can you point out where your son is on on this map? And she says, no. And he says, well, then it doesn't make any difference, right? Like you you, you can't orient yourself. So he puts it away. So she tells this story under hypnosis, and Dr. Simon, uh, the hypnotist, 
is just intrigued by it and says, you know, sometime when you're not hypnotized, if you if you want to, why don't you draw that map that you saw? So she draws the map later, and it's, you know, I, I think it's 21 sort of circles of various sizes, and some of them are connected by lines, and some of them are connected by more than one line. And so this is a star map. So this is supposed to be a rep, uh, exact replica of what she saw on board. And what makes it the really interesting part of the story is that this woman, Marjorie Fish, the very same Marjorie Fish who did the uh, bust of uh, Junior the alien, she looks at it and thinks, maybe I can use that to determine where the aliens came from. Like, what's the what's the vantage point in the galaxy from which this map was made. So this is in the pre, you know, home computer age. So what she does is she gets uh, the latest information on stars and their distance from the earth and each other. Um, and she makes these really, really elaborate models of the near galaxy in her living room. And what she does is she puts, uh, you know, black paper or fabric uh, around the walls. And then from the ceiling, she hangs beads from thread. And it's all done with these like super exact measurements to get them as close as possible to exactly where they would be in space uh, based on what we knew then. You know, and this is, you know, this takes place over a course of years. And I think she does 20 or 21 different models. And then she takes a camera and she's taking pictures from different angles, right? So she's trying to get it to match, get a picture that will match the star map. And so she gets to a point, she's very, you know, as you can imagine, it's very detailed, exacting, frustrating work. Uh, she can't find a match. And then um, this new uh, astronomy catalog, sort of the astronomy Bible at the time comes out and it's identified a few new stars. And there's three stars that when she adds them to one of her models, it fits the star map. Um, and then, so, you know, what, what sort of proponents of this, the Hill story say is, you know, that map wouldn't have existed uh, as it, humans couldn't have made that map uh, with what they knew at the time that she drew it. Like you had to have had advanced understanding of the location of different stars in order to create that map. Um, so yeah, she, she identified their sort of uh, stars of origin as Zeta Reticuli, which is a, a binary star system, uh, which she thought could sustain a planet that could have life. So it's a really, you know, a, a completely sort of obsessive quest to uh, find a match in, in something that would be really daunting today with computers. But back then when you're just like literally hanging beads from a ceiling uh, is it's unbelievable. And the pictures, uh, there, there's no pictures on the internet, um, but there are, or at least that I could find, but they do have a lot of those pictures at the U, uh, university of New Hampshire special collections. And I, I've, I've checked them out. Um, and it's it's really it's quite something. It's interesting because it reminds me of the old uh, the older story of the Dogon tribe. That um, I think this was actually after the Betty and Barney Hill case. You guys can correct me if I'm wrong, but the the Dogon tribe had a similar experience, being able to um, name stars or star system, a Sirius system that was. Uh, according to the tale, uh, something that human technology was not at the time able to view. Uh, and it's strange to me because, you know, like someone else pointed out earlier, we're seeing tropes there. And now that we know this story for the Dogon may have happened or come to attention after the Betty and Barney Hill story, we have to we have to ask ourselves just how profoundly the experience of these folks uh, has has informed UFO uh, folklore, UFO um, 
I, I don't even want to say tropes, but, you know, has informed the commonalities that people say they experience. When you're in the course of your research here uh, and you're you're finding all these exclusive materials that are, as you said, uh, not available on the Internet or not widely available, have you run into other people uh, researching the story or have you had anybody um Anybody contact you with some kind of exclusive or some kind of what they feel is an insight? I, I guess what I'm asking, Toby, is have you had other people who feel they've experienced an abduction reach out to you? Uh, not yet. <laughs> Although I, <laughs> I, I feel so that may come uh, at some point in the future uh, as we as uh, Strange Arrivals kind of continues on. Um, yeah, I, I haven't. It's the Betty and Barney... Hill archives are, as you you imagine, uh, the most sort of viewed things that they have at the University of New Hampshire. There's a big uh, UFO conference in Exeter, New Hampshire, which is about 20 minutes away. Uh, So during that sort of week slash weekend, a lot of people come in and if only to see like the junior bust or Betty's torn dress, which is also there, um, is sort of a pilgrimage. Um, but yeah, I haven't, I haven't had anybody reach out to me yet, but I'll, I'll keep you in the loop if I do. <laughs> Please do, because uh, toward the end of this episode, uh, we're going to tell people where to find you. Aha, <laughs> <laughs> uh-huh. which is actually, guys, what we're about to do now. Um, uh, really quickly, if you do want to check out the special collections uh, at the University of New Hampshire, if you cannot physically go there, you can go to library.unh.edu. Just do a little search within there for Betty and Barney Hill, and you'll see the special collections that they have. Um, they've really, it's, it's really just kind of a list of the materials that are available there and like which box they're in and where you can find them if you're physically there. But it's a a great list of things as well as just some overall information about the, uh, the, the case. I actually, I believe they're going to be digitizing, making some of it available digitally, uh, over the next few months. So, uh, depending on how quickly people are listening to this, there may be more stuff there. Uh, at the very bottom of the page of that special collection of Benny and Barney Hill, there is a picture of the alien bust if you want to go and see what that looks like. So if you want to do that, you know, if you want to learn more about this story, then just listen to Strange Arrivals. That would be my recommendation. Uh, we kind of talked about the experience, the sonic experience you're going to get in that show. Um, we really think it's worth your time. It feels like you're there. There's like some recreations that have been done, correct, yep, Toby? Where yep. you, it makes you feel like you're with Betty and Barney. Um, and you aren't there actual? Ta- isn't there actual hypnosis tape in the show too? Yeah, there's a co- in a couple instances uh, we do have the actual hypnosis tape um, that we play. Uh, there's part where Betty's talking about being taken from the car and being brought aboard the ship. Um, uh, Barney experiencing uh, the UFO in the um, in the in the field. Wow! Yeah. So uh, if you want to do that, uh, what should what should people do to find you and Strange Arrivals, Toby? So Strange Arrivals, uh, you know, should be available on whatever uh, podcast app you use. Uh, if you want to uh, get in touch with me, I'm on Twitter at tobyballnh, and my website is tobyball.com. Awesome. Well, hey, thank you so much for joining us and talking about this really, really interesting case. Uh, I'm glad that you're making the show you're making because I want to know more. (laughs) And I'm sure a lot of us do. Agreed. Agreed. And also, thanks for the solid Outer Limits and Twilight Zone Rex uh, in this episode. I don't know if you can, I don't know if you can see my background, but I changed it to the uh, Hocus Pocus and Frisbee uh, alien kind of ski mask looking dude. But he really does have the two kind of almond shaped eyes and the two little nostrils. Actually, now I'm noticing, which I think is a pretty key part of the gray uh, face facial structure. So I'm actually kind of on board with this having been uh, an influence for, for those descriptions now that I'm looking at it. Yeah, you ch- check it out online. Uh, you can if you uh, put it into Google, they've got pictures of it. It's you know, it's getting there. 
<laughs> it's getting there and we are getting to the end of today's episode please check out strange arrivals uh don't take our word for it experience it yourself wherever podcasts are available uh we'd also like to hear your stories about allegations of extraterrestrial activity and ufo sightings you can find us on facebook twitter and instagram we are Conspiracy Stuff on most of those Conspiracy Stuff show on Instagram. If you don't want to use the social media, because, uh, we, come on, we all know what happens with the social media. Uh, we joke about it all the time, and our NSA intern uh, definitely, you know, appreciates these jokes, I'm sure, every week. But uh, if you want to give us a call, we are one eight three three stdwytk you can leave a message, uh, talk to us about this episode, about an idea you've got for an upcoming episode. Anything you want to do, just give us a call and leave a message. And if you don't want to do any of that, uh, you can always send us a good old-fashioned email. We are conspiracy at iheartradio.com. Stuff They Don't Want You to Know is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Top Thrill 2 is like no other course. Two 420-foot vertical speedways, three launches. All right, let's talk strategy. Copy that, driver. Go for maximum acceleration off the start. Measure that. You've got a short straightaway to push from 0 to 74 on the first vertical speedway. And what about the rollback? Rollback will set you up for an explosive reverse climb 420 feet in the sky so you reach 0 Gs in total weightlessness. 420 feet of straight-up speed. Let's get it. Top Thrill 2, the world's tallest and fastest triple-launch Stratocoaster. Get your tickets at cedarpoint.com. If a new house is on your wish list in the next five years, grow your savings faster and experience your dreams with an Ohio Homebuyer Plus account from Kemba Financial Credit Union. A savings account specifically designed to save for a new home where you can earn 7% APY, a $500 matching bonus, and a $1,500 mortgage closing cost credit. Learn more at Kemba.org. Offer expires March 31st, 2025. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. NMLS 292230. Equal housing lender. Federally insured by NCUA. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Live Nation presents Concert Week. From now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 summer shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirks Bentley, Janet Jackson, Megan Trainer, Peso Pluma, Sean Paul, Sum 41, and many more. For way less. Grab your tickets now through May 14th to see all of the artists you love all summer long. For just $25. $25 each. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert Week to buy now. That's LiveNation.com slash Concert Week to buy now.